Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here, and uh, thank you for having me again uh, into your fellowship. And I look forward to sharing God's Word with you this morning as we uh, just open up God's Word and hear what He has to say to us. A great privilege it is uh, to serve a risen Savior. What privilege it is to hear what God has to say to us this morning. And uh, let's all just, uh, at this point, just turn, if you would, to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. And... God willing, in the times that I'm going to be here over the next uh, couple of months, um, I'm going to hopefully uh, go through a little series on Ruth, and we're going to start this morning on Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to take time just to read uh, the whole of the chapter, Ruth chapter 1, and, and starting with first one. Before we turn to God's Word, let's just come before the Lord in prayer. Let's just pray. Eternal Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great privilege that it is to come into your presence. Father, we thank you that we come into your presence with confidence, with boldness, because we come clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We come accepted in the Beloved. We come as men and women of God and young people of God who indeed have been cleansed by the blood, who have been redeemed, who have been saved, who have been justified by faith. And we thank you, Father, we've been adopted into your family so that we can indeed be known as sons and daughters of the living God, and we can address you as Father. Father, we thank you for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you, Father, for the one who went on to that cross and and paid for our sins in full, who shed his own and, and precious blood to cover all of our sins. We thank you, Father, that on that cross and through his death and resurrection, he accomplished the victory over sin and death and Satan himself. And we thank you, Father, because he lives, we live. We thank you, Father, for the new life we have in Christ. We thank you, Father, for that journey of faith that we're on and that one day we will be with him in glory. But, Father, until that time, we pray, Father, that we would walk well. We would indeed keep our eyes on the Lord. We wouldn't get caught up in the things of the world or even drawn away into the things and patterns of the world, but instead, Father, that we would indeed pursue holiness and righteousness, that we would walk well with you and serve you all the days of our lives. So, Father, this morning, we pray that you would grant us all a little revival, that our hearts would be indeed stirred up for mighty things for the Lord. And if there is anyone in this room who does not yet know the Lord, is not putting their faith in the Lord for salvation, we pray this morning that there would be many here and across this land putting their faith in Christ and Christ alone. So, Father, be with us now as we turn to your word. We need you every every second of every minute of of this time. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would speak through us would indeed speak to us, and indeed, Father, that our hearts would be changed this very morning for your glory and for your glory alone. And we pray these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and, and Chilion, Epaphrodites of, of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, uh, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, so the women survived her suit to her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? And there are still stuns in my womb that they may be your husbands. Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons. Would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed and her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, sh and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do to me, and, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. And the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, and the women said, Is this Naomi? <clears throat> but she says to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has <clears throat> testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law with her, <clears throat> who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I'll finish reading at the end of chapter 1. The title uh, for this morning's sermon is, There is Hope Because God is Love. There is hope because God is love. As I say, God willing, we're going to go through a little series on Ruth. And this morning, I just want to go through this passage, um, <clears throat> through the verses, and we'll see what the Lord has to say to us. So we see in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. The period of Ruth is the period of judges. Uh, and I think one of the last times I was here, we were preaching on Samson, and I was talking a little bit about that period of Judges. And the period of Judges, as most of us know, was a period in which Israel was very low spiritually. 
The period of Judges was a time in which Israel was like a spiritual yo-yo. One minute it was close with the Lord, and another it was distant from God. Israel had got itself caught up in spiritual apostasy and, and backsliding, and, and, and as a result of that, God brought judgment upon them in the hands of the enemy. And then Israel cried out to the Lord, and God showed mercy and grace by sending deliverance in the form of a judge. And the judge brought that, 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 that revival, that restoration to the people, but then the judge died, and the people reverted back to the, their old ways, even worse than before. And so it went, this up and down spiritually through this period of judges. And at this point in the story of Ruth, Israel is in a very low place spiritually. It's in a backslidden state. And we know it's in a backslidden state because it says here, there was famine in the land. And in the Old Testament, typically, when, when God's people are, are turning towards the Lord and obedient to the Lord, then God will bless the land. But when God's people turn away from the Lord and are disobedient to God and caught up in a backslidden state, then the, then the land is cursed. So we know that at this point, there's famine in the land, and if there's famine in the land, Israel is in a spiritually backslidden state. It's in a spiritual mess. But the wonderful thing is, as we all read through these passages, and indeed as we read through the whole of God's Word, that God still moves in the messiness of our lives. This morning, there may be some here, and you're in a spiritual mess. Maybe you are distant from God maybe in recent weeks, maybe in recent months, maybe as a believer you've been in distance from God for some time. Maybe this morning you feel cold. You're here, but you're not really here. Your heart has weaned cold. You're, you're, you're not as on fire as you once were. You're going through the motions of Christian life, but, but that's it. Your heart is far from the Lord. Maybe you're facing the consequences of past sins in your life. Maybe right now you're caught up in sin. Nobody else knows, but you know, and indeed the Lord knows. Maybe this morning you can identify with Israel. Maybe you're barren. Maybe you're empty. Maybe indeed you are in a spiritual mess. Well, this morning there's hope because God is love. And if you come to the Lord this morning and pray that God would restore you and revive you this morning, He will restore you and revive you. I was drawn, literally as I was driving up in the car, to Joel 2, verse 12. I wasn't reading it while I was driving, but nonetheless, I was drawn to this passage. No need to turn to it, but it says this, Now therefore says the Lord, and this is a message, perhaps only to one person in this room, or maybe it's to all of us to one extent or another. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. This morning, if you're distant from God, as a child of God, if you've grown cold, if you're in a spiritual mess, this morning, here, 
in this building, turn to the Lord, be restored, be revived. Confess it all unto the Lord, and He will restore you and revive you, and you will be back to where you ought to be, on fire for the Lord and moving forward for Him. Israel is in a spiritual mess, but yet God is love. There is hope because God is love. And then we continue through the passage, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, we're still in verse 1, and he and his wife and his two sons, verse 2, the name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Epaphrodites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. So we start off with a nation that's in a spiritual mess, that's facing a famine, And now we're presented with a little family, headed up by this man called Elimelech, the wife, Naomi, and and these two sons, Malon and Chilion. And they, they go across the border to Moab. They leave their country, they leave the the place of God, they leave the promised land, they leave the people of God, and they go into a pagan land, they go into Moab. And they shouldn't have done that. Now you might say, Philip, hold on a minute. They were starving. There's a famine in the land. The father was doing the right thing. He was doing the legitimate thing because he needed to get food for his family. It was, it, it was his responsibility. There's famine in the land, and therefore you've no other choice but to cross over to Moab. You've no other choice but to leave the presence of God. You've no other choice but to distance yourself from the people of God. You've no other choice but to go into the world and into this pagan environment. They're starving. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, and I speak to my own heart maybe more than anybody in this room, but there's never a legitimate reason for sinning. There's never a legitimate reason for distancing ourselves from the Lord and from the Lord's people. But so often we do legitimize sin, don't we? I do anyway. You know, you go into the workplace as an employer, and maybe there are employers here, and you say to yourself, I can't really share my faith. I can't really set out my stall for Christ. I can't really talk about the Lord in conversation because the political environment, the politically correct environment in which we live in, the legislative environment, the the, the difficulties that potentially could bring to me as an employer, uh, I could end up in an industrial tribunal, uh, you know, all manner of unintended consequences could come with me talking about my faith. So do you know what? I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to talk about the Lord. I'm not going to set out my stall for Christ. And it's not for the wrong reasons, it's for legitimate reasons. To keep the peace, to keep harmony, to keep myself out of court. We legitimize denying the Lord. We legitimize not talking about the Lord because of the world in which we're in. We legitimize when we turn up at a new neighborhood, when we buy a house, you know what? I want to keep the peace with the neighbors. The last thing you want to do is, is have difficulties with your neighbors. If you've ever had difficulties with your neighbors, it's a, it's a nightmare. And maybe some of you have experienced that. I certainly have. 
and you want to keep the peace. You want to be in harmony with everyone. So what you do is you keep yourself to yourself. You don't talk about the Lord. You don't, you don't mention Christ. You don't, you don't share your faith. You don't take opportunities when opportunities present themselves to the neighbors around you. And you legitimize it. You legitimize denying Christ. You de- legitimize not talking about the Lord because I don't want to cause any upset. We legitimize sin. There are legitimate reasons we say in our heart, wrongly, but we say in our heart for, for compromising my faith, my business, your business, perhaps is going through difficult times. You, you, you face this, this, this existential crisis in your company and you're going to lose half of your staff and there's a contract that comes up and, and, and you've got to compromise your, your ethics, you've got to compromise your standards and you, you say to yourself, well, maybe there's a legitimate reason to do that. Maybe it's legitimate to do that so I can save my company, I can keep people in employment. So you legitimize sin. When you turn up at school, university... And everybody's heading to the things of the world. Nightclubs. Places where Christians should not be. Let me be very clear about that. We shouldn't be placing ourselves into environments in which we will sin. In which we will be tempted. In which our testimony will be challenged to say the least. But we are drawn to these places because we don't want to be left out. That's an understandable thing. I get that. Being there. We don't want to be left out. We want to be accepted. We want to be part of the crowd. So we go along with the world. We go along with the conversation of the world. We go along with the ways of the world so that we'll not stick out like a sore thumb. And we legitimize that because we say to ourselves, well, God will understand because I don't want to be on my own. I don't want to be mocked. So I'll go on the ways of the world. I'll follow the patterns of the world. I'll compromise my faith. And we legitimize sin. Are you legitimizing sin in your life? Are you legitimizing compromise in your life? Am I? Are you legitimizing not talking about the Lord, not sharing your faith? When was the last time I shared my faith? When was the last time you shared your faith? When was the last time you talked about the Lord? Mentioned him in conversation? Or have we as God's people just stage by stage compromised more and more and more? Where we're just like the world. There's no difference. I remember going to a corporate event and it was a corporate event in a hotel. I was going to say not that far from here, but about 20 miles from here. So it's right, right distance, Northern Ireland terms, that's a lifetime. And I remember going to this corporate event, and it was in the evening. And I remember driving up to this corporate event, business event, secular event, not a Christian event. And there was a kind of a concierge guy there. And, and I said, where's the business event? And he said, oh, it's just through there. And I walked, through the business, I walked into this business event. And, uh, you know, there was an open bar and there was uh, people there, you know, engaging in conversation that was worldly, a little, and sometimes a lot. And it was a typical secular business event. And I hate any events. (laughs) So I was in and out as quick as I could. About a few days later, 
I had to go to a Christian event in the same hotel. And I went to this Christian event, and it was a... I can't really remember the, the organization that was around it, but I was invited to this event. It came a few days later, and it was roughly around the same time. It was in the same place, and the same concierge was there. And I looked through the door of this big event that was going on, and um, there was an open bar. There was... I kind of walked in a little bit, and the conversation was, you know, it was okay, but not great. And it looked a lot like the event that I'd just been in a few days ago. The way people got on, the way people were talking, just the whole environment just looked like the world. So I came back to the concierge, and I says, oh, by the way, where's the Christian event? He says, you've just come out of it. It, it looked the same. Christian marriages... Christian wedding days, they look the same. We're getting more and more like the world, compromising our faith, and we're not therefore burning brightly for Christ. We're not shining for the Lord. We're not living distinctive lives, and people aren't being drawn to ask the question, what is it that makes you so different? What is it that you have that I don't have? So as God's people, we need this morning, and I do anyway, a spiritual jolt to say worldliness and carnality and getting as close to the world as you can has got to end in my life and in your life. We've got to live distinctive lives, godly lives, Christ-centered lives that reflect the Lord Jesus Christ in our character, our conversation, and indeed in our conduct. This father led his family to to Moab, and he shouldn't have done it. Easy for me to say. The challenge that he faced, the crisis that he was in, the empty stomachs in front of him of the family that he loved, but he should not have crossed over that border and went into the world. There's no legitimate reason for sin. Let me ask you this question, fathers and mothers. Are you leading your family to Moab, or are you leading them to the promised land? Are you leading them to Moab, or are you leading them to the promised land? Because if you're in Moab this morning, if you're in a spiritual mess this morning, you're maybe listening to this sermon and you're saying, Philip, I can take it. It falls on me. The consequences lie on me, and that's it. Well, no, it doesn't. Because the impact of being in Moab doesn't just affect you, it affects everybody. It affects your children, it affects your wife, it affects your husband, it affects people around you. Being in Moab has consequences, and you know it in your own life now, but it's not just you, it's, it's everybody around you. You're not sending your home in the Word. You're not going out to church regularly. You're not spending time in prayer. You're not talking about the Lord. You're not bringing your children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. There will be impacts as a result of that on others. There's a man I once, or a man I still know, a man I know that for five years was in Moab. Five years was in a backslidden state. It was a terrible He once was a preacher. He once was a pastor. He went back into secular work, and for five years, he was in a backslidden state. But thank the Lord, there's hope. 
because God is love. That man has been restored. That man is back revived. That man is back serving the Lord and and setting out his stall for Christ. And I met him for coffee after the five years of being in a backslidden state when he was restored. And he said this to me. I can't remember what the conversation, the rest of the conversation was about, but I remember this and I'll remember to my dying day. He said to me, I can see the impact on my children of what I did and what I didn't do during those five years when I was in a backslidden state. Let me say that again. I can see in my sons, my children, the impact of what I did and what I didn't do during those five years when I was in a backslidden state. I didn't ask him to elaborate. I didn't ask him to give me any details. But I think we all know what he meant. But again, there's hope because God is love. One of those sons went off into the world for many years and it just so happened, or providentially. I was on Facebook a couple of months ago. I don't know how I got onto this particular posting or whatever, but that son was getting baptized. He was being, he was being restored. He'd come back to the Lord. And so this morning, don't hang around in Moab. Don't hang around in the world. Don't think that being in a low spiritual state just impacts on you. It impacts on everybody. Return to the Lord. Be restored this morning, and God will heal your backslidings. God will restore you to the uttermost. God will revive your heart. In verse 3, Lamedach, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, so the women survived her two sons and her husband. In verse 6, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. So we have a a backslidden nation. We then have a, a family that is going over into Moab. And now we see tragedy. The husband, Elimelech, dies, leaving them with, 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 with the two sons. They then marry, and, and, and then the, the two sons pass away. There's tragedy in this family. There's sadness in this family. But the wonderful thing here is in verse 6, she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited people by giving them bread. There's revival in Israel. There's a restoration of God's people. And the thing is, if you return to the Lord this morning, if you're in a spiritual mess and you, and you, and you cry out to the Lord and, and, and pray that God would forgive you and, and, and that He would restore you and revive your heart, then your revived heart and your restored life as a child of God will impact on others positively. Maybe others who are in a backslidden state will be drawn to be restored. 
Maybe others who perhaps have not really seen or heard your testimony in recent months and, and, and even years, and with that revived heart, with that new testimony, that, 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 that Christ-reflecting character, that they may be drawn to the faith and drawn to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're revived, it will impact on others in an amazing way that you couldn't possibly even comprehend. And you know, Naomi is now on a journey back from Moab to the promised land. You know, maybe you've always been in Moab this morning. Maybe, maybe, maybe you, you have never come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never turned to God. Maybe you're here this morning and you believe that, that just by being here and living a good life, that that will be enough. Maybe this morning you're here and you think that church attendance, a good living, equals getting into heaven. It doesn't. It doesn't. The only way to get right with God is through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but through me. The only way to get right with God the only way to have your sins forgiven, the only way to know that you will be in a relationship with the Lord and will one day be with Him in glory is this morning to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't cling on to this world any longer. Because you know what? God's Word tells us that the world is passing away along with its desires. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Look at the world. I've said this to you before. Look at the world out there. Does it look like a world that is moving in the right direction? Does it look like the world that you would want to put your hope in, your trust in? Would you want to trust your soul to that world? The Word of God makes it clear. It's passing away along with its desires. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Get right with God. And don't leave this building until you've got right with the Lord and put your faith in Him and Him alone. Naomi's on a journey back. And we continue on verse 8. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead. And with me, the Lord grant that you might find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. Verse 11, sorry. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? And there are still my sons in my womb, and there may be your husbands. Turn back, my daughters. Go for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. These two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, want to go back with Naomi. They want to go back to Naomi, back to the promised land, back to Israel, back to the Lord, back to God's people. And Naomi turns round and says, stay in Moab, get yourselves husbands, may the Lord find you rest. And we might look at that and say, Naomi, 
Naomi didn't do the right thing there. What Naomi should have done is said, right ladies, get your arms around you and get you across the line here. Let's get you saved. Let's get you back into Israel. Let's get you away from Moab and let's get you, let's get you saved and let's get you into being believers. Let's get you across the line. But she doesn't do that. You know, in a sense, maybe deliberately or otherwise, these two ladies are put to a test. You used to go back. It's fine. You, you find yourselves husbands. You find yourselves rest here. You establish families. You, you stand Moab. By doing that, they're put to a spiritual test. Do they truly want to turn to Naomi's God? Do they truly want to put their faith in Naomi's God? Do they truly want to turn to the Lord and to the Lord's people? There's a test here as to whether Orpah and Ruth are genuine and authentic about turning away from Moab and turning to the Lord. And what happens? Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah stayed, and Ruth returned with Naomi. Orpah was emotional. Orpah, at one level, wanted to go with Naomi. But when the spiritual test was put there, she stayed in Moab. You know, there's a tendency, I think, as parents, and I'm a parent of three, there's a tendency to try and get our kids across the line to get them saved. To put a little pressure on them, to get them out of Moab and into the promised land. There's a tendency maybe to do a gentle push, a little bit of pressure. Okay, are you going to become a Christian tonight? Yes, right, we got you saved and we're across the line. I understand that. I understand the gentle push. I understand the tendency to give a little bit of pressure to get them across the line out of Moab and into the promised land. That is understandable. That's what I faced and experienced on three occasions. I get it. But don't put your kids under pressure. Don't push them across the line. I'm not saying anyone has done that, but even if you're tempted to do it, don't do it. Saturate them with the gospel. Share your faith. Live out the gospel in, in, your, in your home and outside of the home. Take them here to, to hear the word of God. Saturate them in the gospel. Share your faith. Talk about the Lord. But their salvation is between them and the Lord. You plant, you water, but it's going to be God who gives the increase. I'll share a little of my own testimony. When I was five years old, I was sitting with my father beside my bedside, and we were reading a, a gospel book of some, some sort, and it was a picture book, and, and in that gospel book was a picture of the cross. And I kept on coming back to that picture of the cross. And I said to my dad, Dad, I want to become a Christian tonight. And he says, we'll just leave it. We'll leave it for a few weeks and see how we get on. And a few weeks later, I came back to my dad and I said, I, 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 I want to become a Christian tonight, Dad. I want, to be, I want to get saved. And he says, we'll leave it. We'll leave it for another few weeks, see how you feel. He wasn't pushing me. He wasn't putting any pressure on me. 
He wasn't trying to get me across the line. He was making sure that it wasn't just emotion. It wasn't just fear. It was true, genuine, saving faith. And I came back again a third time. And I got down on my knees and gave my life to the Lord. There's a tendency, a temptation to put pressure on not just our children, but maybe a friend, a family member, to get them across the line. Share your faith. Present the gospel. Gossip the gospel. Talk about the Lord and and whom you love to them. But their journey of faith, their coming to Christ, is between them and God. Make sure it's genuine. Make sure it's authentic. Therefore, don't push them. Don't put pressure on them. Don't try to get them across the line. Leave it with the Lord. You do your bit and leave the rest with God. So that's true, genuine, saving faith. Orpah, or Naomi pushed them back. Orpah stayed and Ruth clung to Naomi. And we know that Ruth turned genuinely in saving faith because it says in, in verse, um, read it with me in verse 15. And she says, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to you, to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, verse, verse, uh, verse 16, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried, the Lord do to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. We see by Ruth's life, by, we, see, we hear from Ruth's lips, that she is genuinely aligning herself with Naomi's God, turning back to the Lord, turning to Naomi's God, turning to Naomi's people, turning back to the land in true faith. Ruth is becoming a believer, and we'll see the evidence of that, God willing, in the life of Ruth in the following chapters. It's interesting, isn't it? When there's revival in Israel, that influences Naomi. When there's revival in Naomi, that influences Ruth. And if there's revival in your heart this morning, that will influence other people to come back to the Lord and be restored. And then just in finishing, verse 19, just to the end of the chapter. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they'd come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them, and the women said, Is this Naomi? But she says to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again, empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The only thing I want to say about this is, you know, Naomi comes back to Israel, and she doesn't come across all giddy and happy and, and all like, yay, everything's wonderful. She says to them, you know, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant, Mara means bitter. Naomi has had a bitter experience in Moab. She has experienced loss, she's experienced pain, she has experienced suffering. It's been hard for Naomi. It's been a difficult time for Naomi. She has faced and felt the, 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 the suffering that comes with being in Moab and indeed just the journey of faith that we all are on. What I thought about when I thought about Naomi at this point is she's being real. 
with people. She's not saying, you know, I'm loving life and everything's wonderful and living my best life and all this kind of nonsense people present on Facebook. She's not doing that. And, and, and we really shouldn't do that either. We need to be real with one another. And I'm the worst in the world for this. I'm the worst in the world. And I mean that sincerely. But we need to be open. We need to be real. We, we need to share the reality of our spiritual warfare that we face and that we're battling every day. We need to be real about the suffering that we've gone through or the difficulties that we're facing or the challenges that we're encountering or the, 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 the struggles that we're having with sin. We need to be real with the Lord and with the Lord's people so that we can pray for one another, encourage one another, help one another on our journey of faith. The person who needs that message most is me. But it needs to be said. We need to be real with one another. And so, as God's people, we, we've been spoken to by the Lord this morning through the reading and preaching of his word. We see Israel as a nation that is brought low, as in a spiritual mess. But remember that when there's a mess, know that God is moving in the messiness. God is still fulfilling his purposes and the plans for the life of it, for Israel, and indeed for you and for me. All of us, to one extent or another, have got a little messiness in our lives but know that God is still moving, still fulfilling his purposes and plans for your life, still teaching you, still, still guiding you, still directing you. Yes, sometimes disciplining you, but we need that, don't we? You know, when we bump into Jonah in glory, he'll say, that discipline, I needed it. When we bump into David, that discipline, I needed it. It had to happen. God continues to move in your life and in my life because he loves you. And he wants to mold you and change you and conform you onto the likeness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The journey of faith can be hard. It is hard. But God is love. There's hope because God is love. This little family, they crossed, they crossed over to Moab. And it may seem a legitimate reason to do so, but it wasn't. And we legitimize sin so often. I do. We all do. In the workplace, in the neighborhood, for social reasons, for acceptability reasons, for politically correct reasons, for all sorts of reasons, we can legitimize nearly anything. We need to stop that. I need to stop that. And we need to pursue holy and godly lives where we obey the Lord and we serve the Lord and we set out our stall for Christ so that people will know who we are and who we follow. So that indeed others can be drawn to the gospel. So others can, be, can, get, can come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as they see those gospel lives being lived out in a dark and twisted and perverse generation. Israel is beginning to be restored. And that revived Israel leads Naomi back. There's consequences of being in Moab. Remember my friend. Remember the impact on his family's life. And if you're in Moab this morning... Be restored. Be revived. Come to the Lord and say, Lord, revive me. Restore me. I'm in a mess. I'm leaving it before you. Bring me back. Heal my backslidings. Restore to me that revived heart. And bring me back to where I need to be. That's a journey. It's a difficult journey. So reach out. You know, reach out, reach out to an elder, reach out to another believer, reach out to a mature believer, reach out to a friend to help you on that journey back. Because that journey back doesn't just happen like that. 
it's a, it starts with revival this morning. It starts with confession this morning. It starts by crying out to the Lord. But it's a journey that you must go on. And it's a journey the fellowship and others can help you and encourage you on. And this morning, if you're in Moab, and you've never been out of Moab, and you've always been in the world, and you've never come to faith in the Lord, this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to appeal to you. Get out of Moab because it's passing away. The world is passing away along with its desires. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Don't hold on to the world. Don't hold on to the ways of the world. Don't hold on to your own works. Don't hold on to good living and church attendance. It ain't going to save you. Only Christ can save you. Put your faith in Him and get right with Him this morning in confession and repentance and faith. And as God's people, let us all pray that God would grant us a little revival. I need it in my own heart to one extent or another. I think we all need it. Grant us a little revival. Restore to us that first love. Revive us all so that indeed we can move forward for His glory and His glory alone, reflecting Christ, living for Christ, and encouraging others to do so. Let's just close in prayer. Eternal Father, we thank you for this time spent around your word. We thank you, Father, for what you have spoken to us through your word, through Ruth. And Father, we all have to confess that to one extent or another, our lives can get messy. Our lives can get caught up in sin. Our lives can become more worldly and carnal, even as your people. We confess, Father, to compromising at times, legitimizing sin even in our own hearts. Father, forgive us for this. And Father, we pray that you would just bring us to that point of repentance this morning, confession this morning, that, 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 that humbling of the heart so that we indeed would cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, restore me, revive me. I've, I've been all over the place in weeks and months perhaps. My church attendance perhaps has been up and down. My service for the Lord has been parked. My, 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 my witness and testimony has not been as, as vibrant as it should be in the workplace. Whatever it may be, Father, we pray that each and every one of your people would get real with you, confess their sins on to you, and be restored and revived for your glory and your glory alone. And Father, for those who are outside of Christ, for those who are still in the world, Father, we pray that today would be the day of their salvation, where they let go of the world. They let go of holding on to their own works, and they cling on to the Lord Jesus Christ in saving faith. Father, we pray that today would not just be the day of salvation for some, but for many across this land, for your glory and for your glory alone. And we pray these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our closing hymn is, Come Thy Fount of Every Blessing.